namaste everyone welcome to the charvak podcast this is your host kushal mehra my guest today is sana hashmi sana is a phd and a postdoctoral fellow at the taiwan asia exchange foundation she's been working with the foundation since march 2021 as and she's an affiliated scholar with the research institute of indo pacific affairs her primary research focuses on taiwan's foreign relations china's foreign policy taiwan's new southbound policy Taiwan India relations China's territorial disputes disputes Indo-Pacific and Asian security today's podcast is going to be looking at uh, Indo-Taiwanese relations uh, Sana is someone I've been reading for a long time and it's actually an absolute pleasure to host her so Sana welcome thank you for coming Namaste Kushal and thank you so much for inviting me to the podcast and I'm very excited to talk about India Taiwan relations with you So Sara if you don't mind me asking so where did this uh, interest in in Taiwan per, per se very specifically uh, come up uh, like was there a specific reason or you were like was it part of your previous research like how did this all start So actually I I'm a trained uh, sinologist I did my MPhil and PhD from JNU in Chinese studies so uh, from School of International Relations So I was already studying China I studied China for over 13 years now uh so Taiwan interest in Taiwan actually started in 2019 2020 uh after I worked with the MEA I was uh, taking a break to finish my PhD and then I also started reading more about Taiwan because you know when you are studying China in India you only study Taiwan through the lens of India China relationship through the one China policy how India used to adhere to it uh and then you don't really read you don't really study taiwan per se when you are studying in india and that's not just india specific that used to be in a lot of countries uh but now of course uh, recently that has changed but at that point of time there was not a lot of interest on taiwan and one reason was also because india china relationship was also at least all right manageable so a lot of scholars uh, indian scholars were uh, scared of focusing too much on taiwan you know if we study taiwan we won't be able to go to china so this used to be the narrative that was uh, at least before 2020 that has definitely changed now uh, but then i uh, uh, came to taiwan in february 2020 on a ministry of foreign affairs fellowship and i was just supposed to be here for uh, 11 months and but halfway through my fellowship i realized there's so much potential in india taiwan relationship i realized that how people in india do not know about taiwan and it was also the time when covid-19 was happening uh, but you know when every other country was under lockdown i was so impressed by how taiwanese government was able to kind of uh, limit the covid-19 pandemic the impact of it and how we were living a normal life so i actually realized that it was important for me to uh, tell my fellow indians that how taiwan is managing this impeccably uh, and we really need to know about this country we have no idea about and i started using my social media i still remember how i uh, uh, made this thread in mid 2020 and it got a lot of interest from uh, indians and i got a lot of likes and i realized that how people want to know about taiwan so then i realized that perhaps i there is much more to taiwan india relationship and this is one of the reasons why i'm still in taiwan and i'm studying india taiwan relationship i'm trying to promote india taiwan relationship so this is the gist of how uh, my interest in taiwan began you know what the funny thing is i clearly remember first year of covid and taiwan was one of the early responders in the sense that they knew when to shut down they knew what to take seriously and what not to take seriously 
and i clearly distinctly remember somebody at that time telling me uh, that you want to understand china or what china is saying or doing look at how taiwan responds because nobody gets the chinese better than the taiwanese do and i was like wonder why <laughs> yeah no that's a this a very valid point that this is this is just not about pandemic this is about a lot of things there's a thing that you know if you cannot really go to china anymore china is not open to talking and this is just not about the government this is also true for these scholars as well so this is a very common thing that they say about uh, china and taiwan that if you want to understand china you should go to taiwan you should talk to taiwanese but you're so right about it as in i uh, no one really took what taiwan was saying seriously at that point of time uh, it was actually uh, the taiwanese administration that wrote to who but then of course the, taiwan is not a part of the process and then they didn't listen to taiwan but i think the good thing was that taiwan at least started taking steps for its own population so in fact taiwan never had to go through the proper hard lockdown it was just a soft lockdown that was only for a few months and the life was pretty much normal and it was normal to such an extent that people who were in taiwan we were very guilty of living a normal life because we were seeing what was happening in the rest of the world uh, but i think as an indian who has been living in taiwan for four years who spent these years the covid-19 years in taiwan i'm very thankful to the government for keeping me safe and uh, for keeping whoever was in taiwan safe yeah i clearly remember that and i think the way taiwan handled the entire covid pandemic was very interesting very novel um, and uh, just just fascinating to see certain countries but today we you know when i when i reached out to you and i was like i wanted to do a india taiwan and and i'll share why i decided to cover ai i i've been following your work and i really admire your work i've been reading wherever you know you write i try to download as many things as i can i i try to be uh, as uh, up to date as possible uh, you know i have like a few people i go to and i try to read them it's very hard to follow one think tank rather than following a think tank my model of understanding subjects is i i pick individual journalists individual writers individual authors and i try to follow them and then through that i try to weave a narrative in my own brain and then through that i try to bring it to my podcast now when 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 we talk about india taiwanese relations it's obvious that we're going to have to talk about china so it's it's like a big dinosaur in the room not an elephant in the room that, that we cannot uh, ignore but uh, let's start here hmm. maybe we can do a taiwan 101 for people who may not know i'm going with the working assumption that there are some people who are going to come over here now there might be some who work in you know semiconductor industries and stuff like that and they must be very much interested in what taiwan is doing because uh, nowadays taiwan is only known for semiconductors it's like a war of semiconductors where taiwan is like the hot potato and yeah. everybody is like oh i want taiwan semiconductors like more like swanger of taiwan i would say <laughs> <laughs> that's so true that's so true that that's a perfect word the swaper of taiwan but let's start with the taiwan 101 a little bit about the society where they come from i i don't expect you to go to the 1600s how the dutch showed interest in them and then how through the dutch everyone no no i'm talking about last 100 years so maybe we can start there with what's the breakdown of the society like uh, what's the filipino angle what's the chinese angle what well, aborigine angle all of that maybe we can start there 
Uh, thank you so much for your kind words. And I'm um, really happy to hear that you follow and you read my work. And I think it's a very good approach that you follow individual and not institutions. So that's what, you know, this is one of the way of uh, keeping yourself apprised of what's actually, you know, having a neutral perspective. So I really appreciate your approach. Uh, so yeah, let's talk about Taiwan. Uh, and then I would first talk about the contemporary Taiwan, what Taiwan is right now. As in, I feel that Taiwan has gone through a lot of changes. And specifically in the past four or five years, since the beginning of the pandemic, I would say since the coming of DPP in power that came in 2016. Uh, but more recently, since the start of the pandemic, uh, Taiwan has changed completely. Um, Taiwan is a very modern liberal society. It's the first Asian country to uh, allow same-sex marriage. And I am seeing firsthand how safe Taiwan is. And uh, there is no judgment within the society. Of course, in Asian society, I'm not saying there's no judgment. You know, when there are Asians, there is definitely judgment. Uh, but, you know, despite all these, you know, uh, Taiwan being an Asian society, there is still a lot of element of mod uh, modernity. You would realize that how modern Taiwan is, how liberal people are, and how safe Taiwan is. Um, so, but let me talk about how Taiwanese are changing, how Taiwanese identity is changing. And you talked about China, you know, the elephant in the room, the dinosaur, whatever we want to uh, call China. Uh, so uh, specifically after what happened in Hong Kong in 2014 and how there were uh, <clears throat> a pro-democracy and anti, uh, I would say, CCP protests that were happening, uh, that was a wake-up call for a lot of Taiwanese because the entire system was that, you know, if uh, at all Taiwan is going to be united, reunited with the mainland China, that would uh, be, be on the basis of uh, Hong Kong, a one country, two system. But then eventually people in Taiwan started realizing that, you know, this is not feasible because how Taiwan has been able to earn the democracy, it's hard on freedom, they really do not want to lose. So what has uh, happened in the past couple of years that more and more people in Taiwan have started identifying themselves as just Taiwanese. And there is just a small percentage of people who identify themselves as both, as both Chinese and Taiwanese. So I think this is a very, very major concern for China, because the thing is, if people in Taiwan do not really want to be unified with the mainland China and with the CCP, uh, they cannot do it with the people agreeing to it. Now they can only do it with the use of force. Now, this entire idea that, you know, people in Taiwan want to be reunited with the mainland China. So that's not going to happen anytime soon now. So I think this is one of the major concerns of the people of the CCP uh, leadership. And I feel that uh, uh, this is uh, the how Taiwanese government uh, handled the COVID-19 pandemic and how it prompted a lot of countries to talk about uh, Taiwan. As in Taiwan before... Uh, the pandemic and before DPP came to power, I would actually say the DPP leadership was actually able to put Taiwan on the global map. Because uh, before that, uh, a lot of people used to think that Taiwan is a part of China or Taiwan is just Thailand. So I think this has changed. A lot of people are uh, better aware about what Taiwan is. So I would definitely give credit to the DPP leadership for that. Um, 
so definitely now I'm also seeing how people in Taiwan are changing. So as I said, that they are identifying themselves as more Taiwanese than Chinese. And you know, now we also have elections uh, next month in exactly a month. January 13 is the date. Uh, so this is a very exciting th time in Taiwan. Uh, but before that, before DPP, there was KMT in power. And uh, I think globally, or uh, at least at a larger scale, KMT is uh, considered or seen as a party that is pro-China. But I won't really, uh, you know, it's not black and white. And I won't really say that it's that they want to be uh, kind of just reunited with mainland china it's much more uh complicated than that uh but within the kmt i feel specifically if we talk about foreign policy it's not the same because that focus is definitely on stabilizing or now if they come back to power it would more be on uh restabilizing uh, relationship with china so definitely this is one factor that is uh going to be watched by countries all over because now specifically we are seeing how a lot of countries in the world are looking at China. They're also trying to uh, manage their relationship with China while safeguarding their own interest. So this is something that Taiwan is kind of also dealing. So this is one of the reasons why a lot of countries are actually uh, uh, watching the uh, election result and hoping that uh, whoever wins, they should deal with uh, China uh, carefully because you know Taiwan is very important for a lot of countries and it's just not about Taiwan a tiny island uh, which is not as big as you know China because a lot of countries prefer uh, China over Taiwan because you know the size you do not have diplomatic relationship with Taiwan but the thing is it is strategically and economically a very very important country so Taiwan under China is not beneficial for any country in the world, including India. So this is one of the things that, uh, you know, a lot of countries are concerned about. But then um, if you have any specific question on history, I would answer that. So so I want to focus on uh, the elections first and then I can take it back. Because, I mean, I, if I remember correctly, it's only after the 90s that they really started having elections because otherwise there was like this long period of military rule in Taiwan pretty much from the 50s onwards, right? They just had military rule going there and whatever uh, you want to call it. What was that? KMT or something that they were kicked out? I mean, I don't know. Law and then Taiwan became yeah. democratic. Before yeah. that, Taiwan was uh, largely um, an authoritarian now state. Yeah, it was an authoritarian state. And then then also, I mean, from what I've understood, like there's a period of Japanese colonialism and then some folks like are very... Uh, I'm not saying pro-Japanese uh, colonialist uh, attitudes, but they kind of have saw the good parts in the Japanese colonial times. And then and then when the Chinese authoritarianism took over for that period, they really had that problem. And then what what, what is that famous day, 228 or whatever it's called in Taiwanese history? Uh, that thing has happened. So so all of that is there. But I it's a very interesting thing. I, I read this piece on the conversation where the author has written. Uh, this was uh, written... I think a few days back uh, on the conversation, mm -hmm. I forgot the name of the author, uh, Richie B. Yeah, it's written on 11th of December, just a couple of days ago. So uh, for, for the record, their first presidential elections were held, I think, in 1996. And after 1996, we are here. So now it's a very interesting line. I want to ask your opinion on this. So I'm directly reading a quote. In a recent visit, one representative told me there are actually four parties in the January 13th election the Democratic Progressive Party, DPP, 
the Kuomintang, the KMT, Taiwan's People Party, TPP, and China. So it's very interesting how that line is written because now the usual thing is like, like you correctly said that, you know, oftentimes KMT is kind of called, uh, uh, I don't know what word, like uh, slightly sympathetic to the Chinese influence at times, while uh, I would mm. say the uh, other political party, TPP, is more about, oh, there is rising inflation, you're not doing this right, you're not doing that right, and they constantly tussle on, on that basis. Now... Now, when this author has written this article, why do you think that author is like like China is the fourth player? There are four political outfits here. Uh, so first I'll mention about, uh, I'll say something about what you said. It's a very interesting point about the colonialism, you know, because when as Indians we talk about colonialism, we are very bitter about it and rightly so. Uh, but I would say that uh, in Taiwan, it's uh, very different. Uh, there has been positive impact of Japanese colonialism on Taiwan. And if uh, you talk about how Taiwanese uh, see Japanese, it's very positive. And then um, it's, I think, one of the most preferred destinations for tourism for Taiwanese. And if you ask any Taiwanese, what do you think of Japan? They love Japan. There is so much and such authentic Japanese food all over. And of course, because of colonialism, but then they just, and even today they have maintained it primarily because there is this affinity towards Japan. Uh, so uh, they, that was that is the point that I feel that Indian audience should know about that. And but I feel that even Japan is such an important country for India as well. And even if you look at now, when uh, you know Taiwan is a flashpoint in the Indo-Pacific, and of course U.S. and Taiwan relationship is very different, very unique. Uh, but I think Japan is one country that is actually taking the China threat very seriously, and Japan is one country that actually kind of uh, uh, brought India into the Indo-Pacific, the uh, 2007 Abe speech in the parliament, and then the subsequent uh, initiative that have been taken by Japan. And But I, I think there is so much similarity between uh, how Japan has been viewing India and how Japan has been trying to make Taiwan mainstream. So I think that is a very important point that I wanted to mention. But now coming to the elections and the point that you mentioned about China, the fourth party. Um, I would say that it's actually the because TPP is a relatively new party, and this is the very first time that they are actually contesting for the the presidential election. So Taiwanese election is very interesting, and you know, in a country like India, election season is actually like festival. It's the largest democracy in the world, and um, and then it's remarkable how India actually handles election and. Uh, so efficiently. Uh, but, you know, with that, there comes a lot of drama. Uh, and in Taiwan uh, as well, it's uh, nothing less than drama. Like, what they really want... So I'll just give you an example. I'm pretty sure that Indian audience didn't really see it. So uh, now the KMT and TPP candidate, they both tried to form a coalition against the uh, DPP presidential candidate. Uh, and they said that they're going to do it, but they're going to negotiate that who's going to be contesting for the president who's going to be uh, the running mate and they couldn't really reach a consensus and then they also televised this entire fiasco and that really impacted uh, public perception here and then there was another uh, presidential uh, potential presidential candidate Terrico who was the founder of Foxconn and he um, uh, also there was a lot of drama involving him and it, it was televised and then in the end it couldn't really work out and he also kind of uh, didn't really the 
uh, Foxconn co-founder, he didn't really go ahead with it. Uh, but about China, it's a known fact that how China, whenever there is the election in Taiwan, uh, how China has been trying to interfere in Taiwanese election, and specifically uh, the DPP has been in power since 2016. And as soon as DPP came to power in 2016, one of the first things they did was to uh, say that, you know, we are not going to accept the 1992 consensus. And we are not going to use Chinese Taipei in uh, for participation in uh, international uh, institutions. So what China started doing is to is to start shrinking Taiwan's international space. And this is one of the reasons why Taiwan wasn't even uh, accepted in any of the discussions in any meetings when the COVID-19 pandemic was happening, despite G7 countries issuing statements and a lot of countries showing support for Taiwan, because it isn't about geopolitics. It is about the welfare of the 23 million people of Taiwan. And it's just not about Taiwan and Taiwanese. I would say it's much more than that. Uh, you know, there was SARS in 20, 2003 when China, Hong Kong, Taiwan suffered. So, you know, when pandemic started, there was this notion that it cannot really reach a country like India. It cannot go to the US because these diseases are primarily, uh, it happens in East Asia, it happens in Southeast Asia. So it actually happened before and they had experience to deal with it. And I think this is one of the major reasons how Taiwan took SARS seriously. So there was mechanism in place and it's a very serious country. As in, I would say there's a lot of accountability in Taiwan. So this is one of the reasons why they were able to handle COVID-19 so well. So, you know, it is very important for countries such as India and, you know, you name it, Japan, US, to learn from Taiwan's best practices, to share experiences. So because of China, Taiwan is also not able to do that. So I think this, and also this is our loss as well. So coming back to China, so uh, in the election, you know, now, now we would see a lot of articles uh, saying that China is actually the fourth party because China will definitely try to interfere in the elections because what they want is KMT to come back to power because when DPP is in power they are more focused on expanding Taiwan's international space they are more focused on uh, advancing its external outreach and uh, I just said that DPP and President Tsai Ing-wen was able to place Taiwan on a global map so it is also leading to internationalization of the Taiwanese issue. This is not in the interest of China. So what China wants is to isolate Taiwan. What China wants is to uh, countries to not send representatives to Taiwan, to not send parliamentarian visits, uh, uh, parliamentarians to Taiwan. So this is something that China has been trying to stop countries to do. So uh, if DPP comes to power, and specifically uh, William Lai, who is the vice president right now, and who is a presidential candidate. So he is from a faction in DPP. And he was, uh, before he assumed his uh, he position, and even then when he was vice president, he talked about how he was pro-Taiwan independence. But now, of course, he's mellowed down and he has said that he's, uh, he believes in status quo and he would do whatever is good for Taiwan and the people of Taiwan. Uh, so if he comes back, he comes to power and DPP comes back to power, this is not in the interest of China. So there is a lot of uncertainty about what is going to happen to the cross-state relationship. So what China wants is to KMT come back to power so that uh, they start focusing on China. And there is, a, according to the CCP leadership, perhaps there might be some scope of uh, for peaceful reunification with the Chinese motherland. So uh, this is one of the reasons why 
uh, Chinese uh, the CCP leadership has been interfering in uh, the Taiwanese elections. And I feel that in the next uh, uh, this uh, month, we are going to see uh, more of what China does with uh, in the elections. But I don't see that no matter whatever they do, and we can talk about it later, but I do not think that it is going to really impact how uh, the voters vote. Because the thing is, they're also very used to such tactics from the Chinese side. They have seen what uh, that if this is coming. Of course, this is a major concern for the administration right now, but I don't think that it is going to impact how people vote in the elections. Yeah, as far as what I have con uh, understood by following the polls, uh, uh, they they have like a proportional representation system, right? The Taiwanese, uh, from what I've understood, they have a proportional representation system. And in the polls, I still feel the DPP representative, William Lai, or whatever his original name is, some L-A-I-C-H, I, I can't, you know, I don't want to bu butcher the man's name. Uh, so I give up. But uh, yeah, so, you know, that's a very important point you spoke about, um, the Japanese uh, equation with the Taiwanese, because most people would think that they the, they would hate them, but they actually like them. And it's one of the reasons why the Chinese, when they did take over and were influencing Taiwan for a major time, they would have those bad periods. And that led to those revolts in Taiwan and those street protests in Taiwan, lives being lost and all those things happening at the end of the day, all leading to democracy. It's, in fact, isn't the image in the CCP like all these people are pro-Japan, they are sellouts. You know, that's that's what they call them, right? Sellouts. Because they're pro-Japan and they like the colonialism yeah, they, of Japan. Uh, for the CCP leadership, anyone who's not aligning with the interest of the CCP is a sellout. So even India is a sellout of the, you yeah. know, to the U.S. So. Yeah, but I actually wanted to showcase that because I will never forget this. Two things I'll never forget. How the Chinese function. One was uh, um, that uh, John Cena speaking in Mandarin and apologizing to the people of China. I don't want to show that video, but the, the most appalling thing that I could uh, come across was uh, the, the senior WHO official. I don't know how many people remember this. I want to play this clip for you. Oh my God, this was such a shocker. Look at this. Look at this. That's it. I mean, if, if there ever was a... Uh, uh, the worst wiggling out experience on the his in the history of the human race. I mean, that was that was insane. I don't want to pl uh, play the John Cena clip because that is just <laughs> that was that bizarre. was just weird. That was bizarre. J John Cena apologizing for acknowledging Taiwan, but now th this entire uh, thing, right? Okay, I was looking at uh, polls again, so it's quite clear that uh, in the recent poll, I think. DPP's uh, popularity is like up 1.7%. And you're, uh, as you've correctly said, that because the KMT and the TPP basically could not come up with a coalition idea. So now the vote uh, trifurcates and the chances of DPP winning uh, has basically increased. But now that everybody now has a baseline understanding of uh, Taiwan, now let's get into the Indian uh, um, 
uh, Taiwan relationship. So if I was to ask you, what are like the top five uh, issues on the table as far as India and Taiwan are concerned? <clears throat> From the government side, right? Yeah. Uh, definitely. I mean, I think Indian government approach is primarily to focus on an advancing areas of cooperation that have been existing within the mandate of this unofficial relationship because India-Taiwan uh, do not really have diplomatic relationship. Uh, but with the establishment of uh, the representative offices that are de facto embassies since 1995, uh, we are seeing that uh, I feel that India's policy definitely has been evolving, but has been uh, significantly evolved since 2020. We can talk about it later. But to answer your question, um, uh, definitely economics. Uh, the first is to get more investment from Taiwan in a number of sectors, not just in the field of semiconductor, but there are a number of areas where India is looking to attract investment from Taiwan. Uh, then second is uh, trade. Trade is increasing. And for the very first time in the history of India-Taiwan relationship, the trade actually crossed the 10 billion mark. Of course, when you compare it, India's trade with other countries is not as much, but I would say that it's still not as bad. And there is definitely progress. Then third is to strengthen cultural relationship, more awareness. Um, then I would say uh, there is uh, an effort to is strengthen people-to-people -people ties. Uh, it's a part of generating more awareness, be making people more awareness, perhaps through tourism, through connectivity. And uh, the last point I would say that there is also an effort to strengthen educational ties and institutional linkages between India and Taiwan. And all these areas are very much a part of the unofficial relationship. This, this is not nothing uh, new, as in this has been happening since 1995. But I would say that what I'm seeing in the past couple of years, that there is more effort from uh, both the sides to strengthen the existing areas of cooperation. But that, and I also believe that if there is more uh, cooperation, if there is more awareness, if there is more willingness to strengthen ties in the area that have been agreed upon, uh, there would be uh, more advancement in other areas of uh, cooperation that are not within the mandate, such as political ties, such as security ties. So right now, you know, India is very cautious about having any... Uh, uh, security cooperation talks and I think it's very natural also it's very logical when India doesn't have diplomatic ties when India has a boundary dis active boundary dispute with China and China is just next door and also we just doesn't have uh, we just don't have China we also have uh, China plus Pakistan nexus and now with this Russia Ukraine war we also have this uh, another component that has been added to the already complex India-China relationship and also how India has to safeguard its own relationship with Russia. So there are multiple complicated factors that India really has to uh, consider before it kind of strengthens its outreach in the Indo-Pacific region and particularly with Taiwan. Yeah, as far as India is concerned now, see, the Indian government, as far as from what I understand, you can correct me, I'm wrong. India has been very, you know, careful and cautious when it comes to um the one China policy, Indian government does not go out of its way and antagonize China in any way possible in this particular issue on the one China policy issue. It was also very interesting to bring in. Obviously, you have to bring in the United States of America over here too. Even the American state policy, while it says that, oh, we will stand up for Taiwan or we will defend Taiwan if push came to shove, push came to shove, like President Biden was very categorical 
it was quite interesting that he called Xi Jinping a dictator <laughs> and, and 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 the government official american government official was like what am i going to do with this guy <laughs> that that expression was kind kind of priceless yeah no let me talk about one china policy first as in you rightly mentioned that india used to adhere to one china policy and india was very strict about one china policy but that has changed and i feel that india's policy towards china and one china policy has totally transformed in the past uh i would say 5 to 7 years but let's talk about one china policy first so india stopped mentioning one china policy in the joint statements from uh, i think it was 2008 that india mentioned it last time uh, but even when india, india was adhering to the one china policy india was accepting the tibet autonomous region and xinjiang as parts of china but india never mentioned about taiwan and that's a very specific point about taiwan because the thing is when uh, and i think it's a very common misunderstanding that when india is adhering to one china policy that actually means that india is also accepting taiwan as a part of china but since 1949 since the prc was established and then the roc government came to taiwan uh india has never ever mentioned about uh, mentioned taiwan in any of the joint statement as in we don't know what happened uh behind the closed doors and what india told the chinese side how they perceive taiwan but officially publicly it india never mentioned taiwan as a part of china but since 2010 india has never mentioned in any of the joint statements in any of the official documents and in 2014 when uh, then the then foreign minister of india sushma swaraj lead sushma swaraj she was there she actually told the chinese uh, foreign minister that if you cannot accept one india policy uh, please do not accept expect us to still follow the one china policy and of course we know the answer of it a chinese side never accepted the one india policy and uh, uh, then doklam happened and then india's policy began to change since doklam and then the chinese side realized that india is actually moving closer to the us because after that the quadrilateral dialogue was revived so then we saw that china extended an olive branch to uh, india and then we saw two informal summit that happened in wuhan as well as in mamalapuram but then galwan happened and i think that was the final nail in the coffin uh, there was this republic there was this realization there was always this realization that you know this isn't about territory the dispute isn't about territory the dispute is not about differing perception of the line of actual control china is not resolving the dispute with india because it wants to keep it alive it wants to use it as a pr- pressure tactic and this is what is happening because china actually resolved its uh, boundary disputes with uh, 12 of its neighbor barring india and taiwan uh, sorry india and bhutan so why not these two countries so i think there was this public acknowledgement after galwan clashes and apart from that there is also public acknowledgement of china being a fundamental threat to india security we recently saw how um, i think defense minister rajnath singh categorically are saying that china is a threat to india and this is and i would also say that this isn't happening because you know us is kind of us wants us to do that we are doing it because we feel that this is something that we need to address right now and we cannot go ahead with uh, doing business with china if china is actually threatening our territorial sovereignty integrity so i do feel that this is uh, uh, our india china policy is very independent of what the other countries have been doing and uh, so taiwan to just 
put it simply that what India doesn't really agree to adhere to one China policy anymore and Taiwan was never a part of India's acceptance of one China policy. Uh, but recently I would say that the relationship with Taiwan is also changing you know with this change in approach towards China there's also this realization that we do not really have to take care of China's red line anymore. So we have been kind of uh, ignoring our relationship with Taiwan just because, you know, we have to respect China's red lines. But at the same time, China isn't really respecting our red lines. China has been assisting Pakistan since the 1950s, 1960s, and it's primarily because they want to contain India. They, it's all aimed at India. This China-Pakistan nexus is not because they are actually Iron Brothers. This is primarily because and aimed at India. So I do feel that this is something that the and also, you know, over the years, over in the in the last decade, we have seen how India was the first country to oppose the Belt and Road Initiative. And it was primarily because uh, of the uh, CPEC, the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor. So I feel that uh, the public acknowledgement has been uh, very important for India to also realize that it is important and it's mutually beneficial to reach out to Taiwan. And there was definitely an outreach from Taiwan. So I would say that India has started taking that outreach seriously now. So, yeah, what was your other question? I think I've been talking about... No, I want to break down the trade thing, which was, like, the one surprising thing that I found was that chemicals kind of made up of almost 23% of Indian imports from Taiwan uh, in 22. And, uh, you, know, I, you know, when I started looking up, I thought Taiwan, electronic parts like mm -hmm. high-end electronics, semiconductors, and stuff like that. But no, to my utter shock, last year we imported more chemicals than electronic parts from China. Like electronic parts made like 17.5% of our imports and, and chemicals made actually a good 23% chunk, which is basic, uh, which, which shows that Taiwan, uh, as far as we are concerned, uh, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, from, from an Indian perspective, is Taiwan the one shop that can provide us high-level technologi technological uh, support, which we desperately need? It's not like we have all the answers, right? Uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, the first step towards being a powerful nation is to not lie to oneself and and know where your strengths lie and where your weaknesses lie and where you could learn. Like I always give the cricketing analogy, right? When India started becoming a... How did India become a cricketing mm -hmm. superpower? They started setting up institutes of excellence in their own country, calling people from other countries who were trained in that, mm -hmm. coming in their country, training their people. And today we, we are in a situation where we have good coaches, good trainers, good physiotherapists, etc., etc., etc. But it were all these people, you know, somebody used to come from Australia, somebody used to come from England and from all these countries, and they still benefit from us. It's not like we use them and then we threw them away. They still have an active economic working relationship mm -hmm. with India. Like you have Aussie coaches in the MRF Cricket Fast Bowling Academy in Chennai, just as an example. So I guess uh, from an Indian perspective, is that what uh, India needs from Taiwan, like these kind of specific inputs? Uh, there's a lot of scope and definitely India is realizing that it's important to reach out. To, but also when we talk about Taiwan, um, uh, Taiwan has trade surpluses. And of course, if you compare it with surplus with uh, the trade deficit with China, it's of course, it, it's just no, there's no comparison. Uh, but uh, definitely there is a lot of uh, interest in getting investment, first I would say. Trade is, I would say, that it's not a primary uh, focus area. And when we talk about investment, it's just not about semiconductor. And I feel there's also a, a sustained 
interesting focus on getting away from semiconductors. We, you know, we you mentioned in the beginning that everyone is looking at Taiwan. Ninety percent of the advanced chips are manufactured in Taiwan. That's you know that specifies how important Taiwan is for the world. Is for manufacturing, like everything needs chips. So I do feel that um, the focus, of course, India definitely now that India is developing its own semiconductor ecosystem. Taiwan, Japan, South Korea are the countries where India has been looking at. It's just not Taiwan. There are other countries as well. And, you know, it's just a very recent initiative. So it is going to take time. But uh, India has been trying to get investment in the field of semiconductor. But apart from that, there are several other fields where India has been looking at Taiwan. And uh, there are active talks. In fact, economic, uh, uh, the only government-to-government -government interaction that India and Taiwan has is in the economic field. So we just concluded this uh, uh, economic consultation industrial collaboration summit that happened at, at the from Taiwanese uh, side it's uh, deputy minister and from India side it's the uh, the secretary DPIIT. So there are the other se sectors that India has been looking at is uh, EV and in fact today only I read this news that Gogoro uh, will be manufacturing made in India. So Gogoro is a company that so everyone in Taiwan uh, I think most people use scooters here but they are electrical scooters and then the most unique thing about that is the battery swapping system so i know that it will be very challenging to uh kind of uh, have this similar kind of uh, battery swapping system but they're trying and they're very hopeful about that and even if you look at foxconn uh, very uh, recently when we had i think semicon india and prime minister modi was sitting on this stage and um, there was Foxconn uh, chairman who was also speaking and he actually said that uh, Prime Minister Modi told me that IT is equal to India, Taiwan. And I looked at the body language of Prime Minister Modi he was actually nodding to that. So, you know, this is actually coming from the highest level in India. And then Prime Minister Modi doesn't need to talk about Taiwan, but we know that he has had prior exposure to Taiwan. Uh, he knows about what could we get from Taiwan because when he was a chief minister, the largest ever economic delegation from Taiwan visited India in 1990, 2011, sorry. And in 1999, Prime Minister Modi actually visited Taiwan when he was the general secretary of BJP. So I think he's one of those uh, rare uh, uh, former chief ministers who actually looked at Taiwan for his state as well. So I think this is something that when he's the prime minister, he's looking to attract from Taiwan. So this is actually, you know, when we talk about strengthening economic relationship with Taiwan, this is just not coming at the uh, coming from the state government. Of course, state governments also reaching out to Taiwan. We get a lot of state government uh, delegations. We get a lot of uh, DPIIT delegation from uh, Taiwan. But I think what is underappreciated and what we really don't talk about that the green signal to strengthen economic relationship with Taiwan is coming from the highest level. So there are policies, uh, there are initiatives that the government is taking towards Taiwan. But I feel that we also need to get away from this overhyped, over-discussed semiconductor area. Because, of course, if it happens, it is going to transform the nature of the relationship. If, for example, TSMC comes to Taiwan, invests in Taiwan, and all these obstacles that we keep seeing that, you know, we sign an MOU and tomorrow we see that it just falls apart. 
So there are structural issues. We need to address those issues. But for example, if TSMC comes to India tomorrow, it's definitely going to transform the nature of the relationship. We have more investment from Taiwan. We have more stakes. We have more interest in Taiwan. Then I think it will be important and it will become imperative for the leadership to talk about Taiwan at the political level. Right now, we do not really have those kinds of uh, those kind of interest in Taiwan that we could talk about it at uh, the political level and we uh, kind of get ourselves into a situation where it would become difficult for us to manage. So I do feel that there is a lot of potential and uh, the government really wants to reach out to Taiwan. So Taiwan needs to see how it could actually uh, read those signals and strengthen economic relationship, economic ties to such an extent that it becomes a very, very important component of uh, India-Taiwan relationship. Now, you, you raised a very important point. As of now, we don't have any official formal relationship as in the Republic of India. And uh, if we were to say the, the Republic of Taiwan, right? We don't have formal relationships, country to country level relationships. Now, one way to circumvent it is, like you rightfully said, okay, uh, MEA is not doing whatever it is. But, you know, let's say Chief Minister of... Maharashtra, where mm -hmm. I am from, he can always go to Taiwan as a chief minister of uh, of a country visiting there. Hey, why don't you bring some investment to my state now? Mm -hmm. But how long are we going to do this? Uh, you know, quite obvious state to state level relationship, but it's not obvious. I mean, uh, it, it's such a I don't know how to say it. it's like an absurd sort of a relationship that we have where everybody knows we want to have a direct relationship, but kind of a thing. And I mean, uh, and we don't even want to say who the wo is in that line. You know, the one who shall not be named. And and I mean, why don't why can't we just do it directly? Is something that it's bugged me because we clearly have more shared values with Taiwan at a people-to-people -people level. No, absolutely. As in, I'm on the I'm with you on this. And um, as in I, to be devil's advocate, I would say that the, India's policy is changing, but it's very slow. And the thing that you said, this is something that, uh, that you know, we do not really want to uh, destabilize our relationship further with China. And then um, I feel, um, I don't think that they're even allowing chief ministers to come. And then I'm not sure if the chief ministers are showing interest because I haven't really heard anything like that yet. Uh, but hum, uh, we do receive uh, uh, in Taiwan delegations from the state government sometimes. And then I keep seeing in the local media that, you know, in Taiwan, there's a state delegation visit. But of course, it's at the official level. It's not at the political level. So any political visit would mean that, you know, India is advancing, is trying to provoke China, whatever. But forget about chief ministers. Why can't they send parliamentarians, a bi bipartisan delegation and there is actually india taiwan parliamentary friendship association that was established in 2016 and then revived in 2020 so the only parliamentarian that we have received in taiwan in the past seven years is uh, uh honorable minister sujit kumar who's from bjd and i when he was here i met him here so he is very um uh, uh he is very pro india taiwan relationship he is really uh, doing a lot of work. But I feel that when I look around and when we look at our member of parliamentarians, I just realize that it's just him. 
no one else is talking about it. And perhaps, you know, this is how Indian politics is. I, I don't see a lot of MPs talking about foreign relations. So I don't know if I could blame the MEA for not sending them here or should I just blame these MPs who are not taking interest in foreign, foreign policy? And, you know, when we talk about India, when we talk about India being a wish guru, you cannot be a wish guru without your member of parliamentarians taking part in uh, foreign policy issues and taking a bipartisan visit. So, yeah. That's um that's uh, an issue that I've been talking about uh, online, offline, but I haven't really got an answer yet. Yeah, I mean it's just one of those things that bugs me all the time. I just I I, I have never understood this policy of playing footsie with uh, when it comes to these things. Like uh, you know, it's kind of a bad relationship where we are. You know, it almost sounds as if we are having an affair with Taiwan while we are married to China. It it, it literally comes off like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's what i look at it as <laughs> i yeah <laughs> yeah i haven't thought about it like that but uh, but yeah they could be more open no no the whole world and uh, not just us the whole world is having an affair with taiwan <laughs> they are all married <laughs> to china everybody everybody including the americans but they're also yeah. looking for uh, divorce so with china so i don't yeah. know what this no, everybody goes and tells Taiwan. You know, Taiwan constantly goes like, when are you going to marry me? You've been dating me for all this while. They're like, don't worry, I will marry you. <laughs> that's, <what's> <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's such an appropriate example. <laughs> this is how they behave. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's annoying uh, to me. as and, and you know, I'm not even a foreign policy guy. I just follow the news. I maybe read people like you. And I just look at all of this and I'm saying, this person made this statement. This person made this statement. This person made this statement. I'm like, yeah, sida bolna. It's, it's just absurd. But that's how foreign policy is. But I want to focus on one more thing. There was this you know, news that was broken. I think it was in November where uh, mm -hmm. there was some sort of uh, a India-China labor supply pact. And, and there yeah, was a lot of yeah, it's like uh, India, Taiwan, sorry. Like they needed 100,000 people to work. And uh, I guess Taiwan also. China is an aging society. Everybody knows. Nobody knows what their official age is. I don't trust any detailed research coming out of China. I'm sorry. It's just it's just a fact of life. I don't trust any of the numbers that come out of there. And uh, the Taiwanese also wanted Indian laborers because usually, I think historically, they had different supply chains. Now they mm -hmm. were like, we want Indians. And then then there was some thing like, oh, no, then they said no, because we think Indians are dirty or something. All kinds of internet things have been spread. So can we talk about that whole story now? And where do we stand? Yeah, no, it was uh, it, it, it became a sensational uh, and very controversial issue online. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, let me uh, uh, share. Uh, shed some light on it uh, so yeah of course uh, there was uh, news that india and taiwan are going to sign a labor pact and it was i think it came after the news uh after india and israel were also supposed to sign similar agreement but i think um it was uh there are a number of uh points uh when we talk about this the first is uh, the negotiations were and i think were still going on the number was never agreed upon 
And I feel that even with India Israel, there was no number that was agreed upon that, you know, you sign. And then how could you even write an agreement that, you know, India is going to send 100,000 people? So I think that was a part of the misinformation campaign. We still don't know the source for Israel, but for Taiwan, we know that the there were a lot of uh, pro-China outlets and pro-China online groups that started uh, disseminating that uh, wrong information and i think it started with bloomberg and i and this is something that i have been saying that you know you are talking about all these chinese accounts you're talking about and it became such an issue that on the uh, on uh, the indian uh, twitter or whatever everyone just started talking about it and i just started getting angry and as an indian who has been living here i was also a little disheartened and i also tweeted about it uh, but then bloomberg first of all i think we really need to say it aloud that it was bloomberg who spread the misinformation because the report came from bloomberg so i feel that uh, it was very irresponsible of bloomberg to do that because it did kind of um, uh, create an issue that was so unnecessary because i have been living in taiwan and i don't really see and i don't really i haven't really experienced any racist incident and in fact yeah, just today i was walking i was going to buy groceries there was a taiwanese a little i think he was yeah an elderly man and he stopped me and he uh, started asking me if i'm an indian and I said, yes. And then, um, you know, when someone stops you, even though Taiwan is all safe, I'm like, I don't know what he's going to say. And then he started saying that how he has never visited India and he likes India so much without even visiting it. And he spent five minutes talking to me standing on the road. And this is something that has happened to me at least, uh, I would say, 20 times in four years. So, you know, that is specifically after 2020, specifically after this entire idea that, you know, we have a common enemy and we are going through the same uh problems with China. So there is this shared uh, sympathy towards each other. And I think this is what happened with Indians as well since 2020. So I do feel that we have to call out Western media for spreading misinformation, specifically when the support for Taiwan was at an all-time high. Uh, and then the second issue is then I, of course, uh, looked into it. Uh, there were a lot of accounts that were uh, pro-China accounts online. And, you know, the people who later talked about it, they weren't really talking about Indians specifically. They were primarily talking about the labor laws and issues at home. So they weren't really talking about uh, Indians coming here. They were talking about addressing the their concerns at home because Taiwan already has migrant workers from Southeast Asia. And there's also, uh, there are policies, uh, discriminatory policies against Southeast Asia's migrant worker as well. And government has been looking into it. But, you know, in a democracy, there is a due process. Uh, it's not an authoritarian state. And, you know, coming from India, you and I both know that how uh, much time they take. Um, so definitely, I would say that China, Chinese accounts have been spreading uh, misinformation regarding this fact. Uh, but I, uh, through your platform, I would really say that the, uh, and I'm still seeing whenever I tweet something, at least there would be one or two people who would come, I, I don't know, genuine or not genuine, they would come and say that, you know, Taiwan is a racist country. They might just also be, uh, you know, troll accounts or something. Uh, I don't really, and I'm not saying it because uh, I have uh, some bias against Taiwan. I am just saying it from my own experience that there is, uh, Taiwan is not a racist country and I think there was <clears throat> behind this pact and behind the discussion um, there was much more than this uh, reductionist uh, view of racism 
so i don't really um uh, i feel that uh, with respect to indian taiwan definitely has a very positive view taiwanese view indian favorably so i do feel that there is uh, some work that needs to be done there to kind of dispel this entire notion of uh, the racism regarding the india taiwan pact but i do feel that uh, this is something that uh, indians have uh, a lot of indians just reacted to it because i saw some youtubers and some people talking about it without even realizing that perhaps there could be much more than that but i do feel that uh, uh, taiwan um, really looks up to india there are a lot of scholars there are a lot of journalists and there are a lot of ordinary people who have come and told me uh, that we really admire what india has been doing and uh, you, you look at moon landing you look at how india has been perceived globally with respect to international relations and as, as specifically what after the g20 summit uh, there were a lot of people who came and told me that you know we really admire what india has been doing so there's a lot of appreciation uh, for a fellow asian country to for its achievement and i think this is uh, we haven't been talking about it because uh, i think for both uh, it, there is no indian correspondent in taiwan so you know for when we talk about media we do not really know what is happening in taiwan because i feel that most mm -hmm. of indian media is also very inward looking but when it comes to taiwanese they're actually looking at western media for their information on india it's changing that there's definitely more interest there some taiwanese channels who are actually trying to directly report on india but you know their views are also formed through the western media and there are stereotypes regarding indian so how do you change that you change that through direct interaction through direct exchanges through media through social media we do not know each other indians do not know taiwan taiwanese don't know india so even if we have been looking at each other it has been through the lens of china uh, even after 2020 we have been looking through each other uh, at each other through the lens of the dispute with china as in that definitely led to uh, bonhomie and you know the uh, birth of this uh, the notion of the milky alliance and taiwan india part of the same cohort but i do believe that we need to have more and more exchanges among ourselves and the people of both the countries really need to talk to each other because when we don't talk to each other what happens is exactly what we experienced after the 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 pact the internet fiasco yeah i agree with you and and let me analogize this through another example first of all uh, you know this is my biggest pet peeve about social media and over emotional people on all sides in in the world you know you just you get one piece of news um mm. how many times has this happened and you know the government and then independent think tankers or independent uh, mm. handles who who know you they spend their time looking at each uh, hours at each handle that spews rubbish try to find out where their ip addresses are from and really? and then you know yeah yeah i mean I'll, i'll give you an example why do i keep using cricketers because you know cricket is the classic example mm. of that every time you'll see this uh let's say uh, i'll give you a famous incident of uh, uh, indian cricketer ashdeep singh poor guy mm. sikh fellow and you know usko kuch chauke chakke pad gaye honge kuch to usne kuch ek baar galti se bechare ladke ne 20 22 saal ke bacche ne gandi bowling kar di shuru ho gaye usko pelna and then yeah. you know what they'll do and then somebody will pick up three handles called him this but first of all theek hai baad mein wo teen handle bhi pata chalte hai pakistan se the 
वो बात की बात होती है दैट इज अपरेट थिंग बट एट दैट पॉइंट ऑफ टाइम लाइक द फर्स्ट रिएक्शन One should have is okay. Let's say there are ten bad people on the internet. Oh my God, mm. there are bad people who say bad things on planet Earth. That should exactly. be the first rational person's reaction. But no, look at the percentage. Let's say five thousand people have messaged, and out of it, ten people said some bad thing. Who cares? Should that be an issue? No. But oh, look, there are racists all over. And even like, yeah, Indians crying about racism. Oh, yar. तुम्हारे देश में तुम फेयर एंड लवली बेचते हो तुमको शर्म नहीं आती दूसरे को रेसिस्ट बोलते हुए बिल्कुल नो दिस इज अ वेरी गुड पॉइंट आई ऑलवेज से दैट हम कहते हैं कि उसने हमारे साथ गलत Uh, and then we are racist towards our own people. I don't know why we are same race, but then. Are we? Don't we do that to our our brothers and sisters from the northeast? What do we do to them? We, we keep calling them Chinese for for heaven's sake. I mean, we we we've done this, but are we improving as a society? Yes, because now we love them, we care for them, and look at. In fact, the one of my biggest, you know, things that I admire the current government for is their focused outreach towards the northeast, like. Mm. small small things change public perceptions what there yeah. some random taiwanese handles who must have said some random bad thing could be who cares like yeah. what what are, you, what are you so obsessed over it for man i mean i don't understand what locus standi do hmm. anybody in any culture have which you know you take a random freaking internet sample and you superimpose it on an entire society i always give that example of the movie pyar kiya ja wo mehmood aur om prakash ka scene wo bolte hain camera kutta camera kutte ke upar kutte ki aankhon se aansu gir rahe hain camera aasman par aasman se barish aa rahi hai yani ki duniya bhar ke kutte ro rahe hain this is literally the way most analysis is done today bilkul so you know this is why i said ki hame we have to we can choose we cannot really huh. believe everything and about the india thing i would actually uh, tell the indian audience because uh, uh, after that incident and then of course i also got a little emotional after that because uh, when i read it even if it's a minority view we i felt bad for a while because you know it's not something that you want to hear but then of course when i became more pragmatic practical i realized i i understood the situation but uh, it became such an issue on indian twitter a uh, foreign minister actually came out in support of um, indian and he actually said how important india is and how welcoming taiwan has been for indians and how they want to welcome more indians and to personally me as well i met him in a, in a diwali event he actually told him uh, told me that you know he has been saying this this is his favorite line whenever he goes to an indian event he says i love india so he actually personally told me that how he really wants to see advancement in india taiwan relationship and uh, this is just from the chinese uh, you know account that have been there to promote uh, disinformation on india taiwan relationship and we also have to accept that it is not in the interest of uh, the chinese leadership of india taiwan become closer yeah. so this is something that we also have to keep in mind and you know whatever we are seeing on the internet thoda sa to we have to be careful of what we are consuming and what exactly. we are believing so wo hum indians na thoda sa mujhe lagta hai sab mein nahi 
hum bhi we are the largest population so all types of people are there but hum bahut jaldi emotional ho jate hain internet pe cheez dekhkar kuch so i do feel that we need to be pragmatic you know when we are moving towards the path of becoming a wish guru so we have to be more pragmatic i would say yeah and and you know i get it if you you know pelo the the taiwanese on your youtube videos saying tum kaun hota hai mujhe bolne wala it might get you clicks but how do you contribute to your country you have to be a responsible person at the end of the day every time i i i sit down on this chair and i host this podcast the first thing that comes to my mind is how do i benefit not just my country let's say in this case taiwan it's not just about me it's about the taiwanese people and me most people are decent yeah i'm a very hawkish person when it comes to pakistan and that's never going to change that's just that's the reality of life and and that's understandable yeah. of like yeah. you know since yeah. independence yeah but but other than that i mean we need to be more responsible in our utterances which is why you know which is why i reached out to you i was like yaar aur kisse baat kare kam se kam sa fir sana ko hi bolenge aake matlab logo ke dimag mein thoda bithao ki yaar bhai shaant ho jao i'm glad that you uh, uh, brought this up because um, as in this is something that we really need to talk about and the thing that you said about you know a few youtube uh, bloggers said the, the exact same words ki ye kaun hai kya hai i feel that you also have to see ke progress itne saal mein hua kya hai is rishte mein and how it is going to benefit your own country and it's just not going to benefit taiwan if india and taiwan are moving closer india is also benefiting from this and this is one of the reasons why india is moving towards taiwan that this is mutually beneficial and i think from india's perspective is it's more like you know it's beneficial to my own interest it's beneficial for my people i'm looking to expand in all directions and towards my east there is taiwan i do not have diplomatic relationship with taiwan but i could really get something from taiwan and perhaps to reciprocate i could also give something back so my point is that india is benefiting from engaging with taiwan it's not that ki hum hi inko bas sab kuch de rahe hain aisa nahi ho raha hai na so i feel this is something that we don't realize the point that you rightly mentioned that you know it should be contributing to something and it should be significant and then you need to make significant contributions when even you're doing a podcast when i'm talking to the country to i would say the mankind but it's important that we uh, become responsible when we talk and when we have a platform and at the end of the day no country is going to be uttering 100% things maybe the taiwanese state apparatus does not say everything that is in sync with the indian state but let me tell you for example india and israel right have good relations but india stand has been always been very nuanced till the extent that even today we voted for ceasefire just today mm. we voted for ceasefire so now what the israelis are going to be a naraz phufa ji in the shaadi and he's going to like israelis like ja tere ghar pe khana nahi khata no they're going to deal with us similarly they're not going to vote for mm. everything that suits us we're still going to deal with them that's just mm. how the world of geopolitics and and real politics is we have to be practical that states have interests and and mm. if we don't have a mature stand on any of this we're going to suffer but one last question then i'll take a couple of audience questions and before we wrap it up now how does one india actually deal with china then in this entire because look at the end of the day all these problems like i said in the weird marriage situation where we are having an affair and and the one we are married to has huge problems and the one we are married to has a huge shotgun on our head 
whether we like it or not how does india deal with china then in this scenario the chinese uh, interference as far as india and taiwan is concerned uh I think India is dealing with China very well. India's policy towards China has been very consistent and nuanced. So there are two parts of it. One is how is India dealing with China when it comes to its own problems. So I would say that it's uh, India has been very clear about it. That is not business as usual until we go back to the legal one status quo, which China, of course, is not accepting, is not is actually uh, displaying utter disregard for India's concern and actually projecting that nothing has actually ever happened. That our soldiers never died. And their soldiers, of course, didn't die. This is what, because they didn't even come up with the number of uh, Chinese soldiers who died. So uh, I think what India has been doing, and then, of course, we can always say that India could be a little more open about taking China's image. I'm seeing it now, like uh, I, I, we talked about how Rajnath Singh said that China is a threat to us. So this is changing. And then I would say that India took some time. But, you know, as we talked about it before, that every country is operating on the basis of their own interest. So India has to test the water, but with China, I definitely feel that the like look at the US, look at the look at other countries, Australia. As in, even if they are trying to manage relationships, they're also trying to reach out to China, and look at how Europe is divided on China. So everyone is trying to get the uh, reap the benefit of the so-called economic rise of China that they have been doing, and they still think that you know it's beneficial. You know, of course, it's you cannot really decouple and or de-res whatever you want to name it from China entirely. But I do see that a lot, there's a lot of confused policy from all these countries' side. Uh, so I do feel that in th this regard, India's policy has been very, very consistent. That the high-level dialogue is going on, but at the same, not high-level dialogue, as in Modi and she are not really meeting, but at least the channel of communications are open. When I said high-level dialogue, I meant foreign uh, minister-level dialogue, defense minister-level, and uh, the military-to-military -military talks are still going on because the idea is to keep the channel of communication open and to keep talking about it. But at the same time, we're seeing that Modi hasn't met Xi since uh, 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 Mamalapuram in 2019 of course covid happened but there were opportunities and i would say that uh one of the reasons why xi jinping didn't really come to india for the g20 summit was primarily because he was uh because modi uh, didn't really agree for uh, a bilateral meet with him so and then we there were other factors as well but i would say that was also that could have been one of the major factors behind that um so i uh, so as i also mentioned that you know india is not really focusing on china's red lines anymore uh, now, how Taiwan is configured in this entire situation. So when all these uh, India's policy towards China started changing, what India started doing is to look at Taiwan and not because it was looking to use Taiwan as a card against China. India has never done that. You know, we always had Tibet card, but we really don't like to play any card against Tibet because we want to have our policy as independent and we want to focus on issues. Uh, so I think India has been, India has had a very principled stand toward China, I would say. Uh, so I think the difference is that India has stopped viewing Taiwan from the Chinese lens. The idea that, you know, uh, they would say something if we reach out to uh, Taiwan has I would say is going because if you look at MEA statement as well, and uh, two years back, I think in 2020 or 2020, I think it was in 2020 when the Chinese embassy came up with this letter for the Indian media that you have to refrain from calling Taiwan a country when you are reporting. Uh, so the MEA spokesperson Arindam Bakshi actually said that our media is free and they would do whatever they uh, 
see, feel all right. So I think that was a huge change. But that was just one of the first changes. After that, uh, yeah, last year when the U.S. House Speaker visited Taiwan and the AMA issued statement, of course, they didn't name China. But one of the uh, major changes in the tone was that, you know, we are against unilateral change in the status quo. And we know when this language is used is primarily against China. And very recently, we saw uh, Minister Jay Shankar in the UK in a think tank event actually saying that we have uh, made advancement in areas of cooperation with Taiwan. So, and he also didn't mention the unofficial nature of the relationship. So, you know, he's also deviating away from the usual talking points on Taiwan that, you know, we are advancing relationships that are in the areas of cooperation that are within the mandate of the relationship. So, you know, the mandate of the relationships, the unofficial nature of the relationship was not there. And foreign ministers saying such a thing, I would say that it's uh, just not a subtle policy change. It's a huge policy change towards Taiwan. All right. Now, let, let me take a couple of questions. I think somebody knows you're from JNU. <laughs> somebody has asked, how does one get into Taiwan studies in JNU? <laughs> Taiwan studies in JNU yet. And I hope one day we, uh, we get to uh, have a center that is actually Taiwan studies and not Chinese studies. Uh, but uh, there is a Chinese studies center in School of International Relations, Jawaharlal University, and I am from that center. I did my PhD in Chinese studies from there. So, but uh, now uh, I think JNU and the Chinese Studies Center is very open on uh, letting students work on China. There's more expertise on Taiwan in India now, I would say. And I would say that there is credible uh, uh, effort to strengthen uh, Taiwan studies in JNU and in other parts of universities. But definitely, I think one way to go about it is to take uh, admission in Chinese studies and I've definitely, well, I'm not saying it because I'm from JNU and I'm from SIS, but in India, SIS is the premier institute for international relations, not just for Chinese studies, but there are a number of schools. Uh, but I feel there are other private universities as well. They're also focusing on Taiwan. So if someone wants to get into uh, Taiwan studies, there are a number of private universities. I would say that is Jindil, then there is, um, uh, I've forgotten notes, but there are a number of uh, universities that are now focusing on Taiwan as a separate uh, subject altogether. Okay, so uh, next is a thoda lamba question. Legally, Taiwan is ROC. So, what is the stance of the people and leaders towards the MacMon line? Do they accept that to be the border between India and ROC, or do they claim it like? PRC, any official statement has been made in this regard? How do they handle this uh, basic sensitive issue between India and China? So, as in the, uh, uh, most of the claims that PRC makes today, they inherited from the ROC constitution and then ROC constitution is something that is still there. Uh, as in this is uh, on papers, definitely ROC still claims Territory, not, not just Indian territory, South China Sea, East China Sea, and of course the mainland China. So, um, but I, uh, there is uh, no effort, there is no talk about reviving those claims, and specifically under the DPP government. And this is one of the reasons why I say that uh, DPP government is good for foreign policy, because specifically for India, I think I've spoken to several uh, uh, officials and other people, they, this, they, they have a very clear stance that 
you know, this is something that we do not really want to pursue claims. But of course, you know, it's. I think this is something, Indians also, on social media, of course, I've seen this is one of the common comments that I keep receiving. But what about these claims? Uh, I think we have to get away from this idea because it's very difficult for them to change the constitution. Taiwan is a democracy. And I, I, and I feel that being Indians, we understand that how uh, the difficult it is when, you know, politicians have to go for elections, contest elections every four or five years. So I would say that any change, and it's just not about elections, it's just not about winning. If there is a change in the constitution, that would consider to be an act of war by China, that you are changing the constitution, you are declaring independence. It's not about that they're changing policies towards India or Japan or any other country. They're also changing the very nature, the very identity of the ROC. So there's one of the reasons why they couldn't even change the name of the country, the flag, the name of the airlines. So what happened during the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, there was a lot of confusion, as we talked about initially when we were uh, starting the discussion, that there is no awareness about Taiwan. And of course, the name doesn't help. So when the COVID-19 started, there was a lot of discrimination against the Chinese people as well. And when Taiwanese were outside abroad, there was a lot of discrimination against them as well, because a lot of people actually thought that they are Chinese. So there was a lot of frustration among Taiwanese people. So what they did was, so they increased the font of Taiwan on the passport. And they started using Taiwan more, but it's all unofficial. They cannot really change it officially because uh, as in no one wants to fight a war with China. And Taiwan has a very clear stance. DPP has a very clear stance that we want status quo. We do not, we are not looking for a war. So, and I'm pretty sure that a lot of uh, people who are listening, watching your show would agree that uh, that would actually, if there is any change in the constitution with respect to the claims on Indian territory, China would be considering it as an act of war. And uh, this is something that they really, they definitely want to avoid. I agree. At, at the end of the day, um, I feel, like I said, um, in the world of real politics, you pick your battles. Just like, I mean, if I, I always say this, if an Israeli of forget the Indian example. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows that whether it's Saudi Arabia right now, whether mm -hmm. it's many Gulf states right now, like it or not. I mean, mm -hmm. there are mainstream portals that are talking about it. Uh, they they will do the proverbial Hindi word Kadi Ninda of uh, <laughs> Israel, and behind the scenes they keep on playing footsie with Israel. Mm -hmm. They they keep on playing footsie. They keep on telling Israel, ha ha, or karo. I mean, it's a fact. I have read articles written in mainstream Western publications where, or or even in the Arab world, uh, where uh, they say, oh, yeah, the Saudis and the Emiratis and these guys are just going around telling Israel, yeah, yeah, we're going to condemn you publicly. You're going to do this. There are multiple reasons for that, whatever mm -hmm. those reasons are. I'm not defending those things, nor am I defending what Taiwan did, nor am I defending many things India does. All I'm saying is that it is just the way the cookie crumbles in these issues. The world of geopolitics works on certain, you know, assumptions. Like, uh, like my my view on foreign policy is very cynical. Uh, I have always maintained that foreign policy uh, and pardon uh, and I apologize if somebody, including you, feels offended. Foreign policy is transactionalism. There is no such thing as a global liberal values based order. Everybody, every single country has 
affairs with different people on a daily moment to moment basis and then they pretend to have this thing like the americans i mean the americans are the past masters at that they pretend to have this so so called morality while uh, i mean i mean the americans have the gall to tell us something while they were actually planning and this is again not me this is tucker carlson and many other mainstream if you don't if you think tucker carlson is a kook go and read left wing portals in america saying that mike pompeo wanted to bump julian assange off in the ecuadorian embassy for goodness sake i mean what americans go around talking about morality so my whole point is that we should not be sensitive as a nation about these issues i think from an indian perspective what do we need from taiwan and what does the taiwanese need from us i think that should be our only focus and how do we manage the chinese and all of this at the end of the day if the taiwanese benefit and we benefit i mean i would say in the proverbial punjabi way ki farak penda hai boli jao kind of a thing but before we wrap it up i'm going to give you the last word sana so take it away i think we have uh, uh, discussed a lot about india taiwan china uh, but uh, i think i would like to end by thanking you i really had so much fun talking to you and uh, i'm um, i think it's um, it's nice that you're using a platform to talk about uh, a topic that everyone talks about china taiwan but not a lot of people have an idea about what exactly is happening so i feel this very important and the job that you are doing uh, disseminate informed opinion about issues i think this is something that's very important so thank you so much no it's my pleasure and and as far as i'm concerned i this is why i started this podcast right but the whole aim of starting this podcast i always tell people agar mujhe paise banane hote the to meri to factory thi main ye nahi karta tha that was a far better career option for me than this but i did this is because i felt there was a uh, there was a gap uh, uh, i i am a big believer in india taiwan relations india america relations even india canada relations i know it's we're going through a very bad patch right now india and canada but i'm a true believer in these things i and i don't think india and china should also like uh, i'm am i hawkish on china yes i am uh, not as hawkish on maybe the pakistan issue but yeah at the end of the day indians will look at its own interest the taiwanese will look everybody looks at their own interest but at least this podcast through my podcast what what i try to do is like my my job has always been like my passion was reading books uh, reading good authors like you or somebody else and trying to bring the best through that i mean i could have made a youtube video bashing racist taiwanese or dikha dunga tumko and you know gotten a million plus views but i don't want to do that how does that benefit india doesn't benefit india one bit at the end of the day we we have to do things that are responsible so once again sana thank you very much for coming and and keep yeah. writing those amazing uh, essays uh, i know you write on the print and many other places too so keep doing your good work thank you so much i had so much fun All right guys we'll wrap it up in the description of the podcast you'll see Sana's profile and Sana's handle on Twitter or whatever x jo bhi bolna hai bolo you can go follow her uh, read her articles wherever she writes them she's an amazing writer you should follow the India Taiwan uh, beat it, it is a very important geopolitical relationship and as far as i'm concerned you know how the drill uh, is Uh, if you can please uh, sir, you know become a member of the charvak podcast by joining the membership program whether on youtube or fanmo or on uh, patreon if you can buy the merch go to kushalmehra.com if you can't do anything just leave a rating if you are an audio listener or like subscribe leave a comment in, on youtube 
I'll see you guys next time. Until then, namaste. Take care. Bye-bye.